The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Torino review episode, and I am joined by a guest to help me out with that. Steven Kashevich, welcome back. Good to talk to you, Joe. The last time we had you on was to preview the Sampdoria match, because strictly speaking, you're a Sampdoria fan. But judging from our conversations offline, it seems like you've developed at least a soft spot for Napoli, I think. I've said this numerous times, but I think anyone who's not a fan of the big three clubs are kind of pushing for Napoli as the representative of everyone else to win the league this year. Either way, it's a pleasure to have you back on. And, you know, it's good to also get a different perspective, a truly neutral perspective, I would say. Obviously, I try to be as objective as possible, but I'm still very, very biased. As I said, we are going to review the Torino match. Napoli beat Torino 4-0 on goals from Victor Osimhen, who scored a brace, Javicha Kvaraschelia from the spot, and Tengi Ndombele. Steven, let's start with Osimhen's performance. I'm running out of superlatives to use to describe just how great he's been for Napoli this season. And this match was certainly no exception. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, it's hard to think of a better striker anywhere. I mean, I guess if you're a hardened EPL fan or you believe the propaganda or marketing of the, the EPL, you're going to say Haaland is you know, untouchable and he's been on fire, which he has. But I think Ozymen, for everyone who follows Syria and who's watched Napoli this season, has been just incredible. You're right, it's difficult to sum up without using yeah, numerous superlatives as to how good he's been. And it's not just his goals. I guess it's the way that he manipulates defenders, the way that he creates room for other players to shine. Both of his goals were superb. And his first goal was kind of, 
it's almost becoming kind of like his trademark. The timing of his leap, the way that he got above the defense, the placement of the header, yeah, it was just superb. You know, it's funny, I was looking at Haaland's numbers, and, and I mean, nobody's going to compare to him, but if you massage them a little bit, then they actually are not that far off from Osimhen's. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you take out goals in the FA Cup or what used to be called the Carabao Cup, I don't even know what they call it mm-hmm. anymore. But, you know, if you take out the Cup matches, because Napoli only played one match in the Coppa Italia, if you remove the penalty kicks and if you sort of average out the goals per minute, I mean, Holland is still significantly better than Osimhen's, but they're a lot closer than you might think. Rather than looking just at total goals, it's like 42 to 25 or whatever. So I think, yeah, he's right up there. And I said the same thing even in terms of the goal that Osimhen scored against Frankfurt, that Holland is the only other player I can think of that scores that goal just based on the athleticism and the size, the height you need to to put in a header like that. Osimhen's now up to 21 goals on the season, which is seven more than Lautaro Martinez, who is second in the race for Capo Canonieta. He has 25 goals in all competitions. Here's a pretty crazy stat for you, or at least I think it's crazy. He's made 29 appearances in all competitions, and he's only not scored in 10 of those matches. In fact, one of those appearances was only an 18-minute cameo in the Coppa Italia, which he scored in the penalty shootout. You just don't count that as a goal. Another was the 2-0 win over Empoli. He won a penalty kick in that match, which was converted by Lozano. He didn't score against Atalanta, but he assisted on Cavada's ridiculous goal, which stole the show, but Osiman still made a very good play to set up that goal. And then he didn't score in either of the matches against Liverpool, but he got hurt in the first one, so he didn't play the full match. And then the second one was more about not conceding than it was about scoring. Like, as long as we didn't concede more than three goals, we were top of the group. So he's only not made an important contribution in about five matches this season. And that's only statistically. Of course, he does so many other things that are just not picked up by the stats. Another crazy stat is sort of the the flip side of it is if you look at our record when Osimhen plays and doesn't score, it's actually quite poor. I mean, the <laughs> loss to Liverpool in the Champions League, the loss to Cremonese in the Coppa Italia, all four matches that we didn't win in the league this season were games in which Osimhen played but didn't score. So, I mean, all of that is just to say like how important Osimhen has been for Napoli this season, which is not a breakthrough for anyone, obviously. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more in depth about the two goals. I mean, the first goal was a fairly straightforward header from a corner kick, but Stephen Osiman's second goal was just another beautiful team goal from Napoli. Yeah, the build-up play was just so intricate, and the back heel from Faradskelia, the cross, and the way that Osiman just completely evaded the defense and got in at the back post, and obviously his proximity the, to the goal meant that. Milinkovic Savage had no no chance at all with the header. That's one of the most impressive things, as you say, about him is not just his goals, but his movement and the way that he places himself, that he's almost in the perfect position a lot of the time, whether he's scoring goals. And it's interesting to see his reaction a lot of the time. Like in the first half, he had a shot that was well saved, but you could see he was really frustrated. And he seems actually to to be quite hard on himself because if, if you notice the way that he yeah, responds to a lot of the chances that he, you know, he doesn't take or that have been saved, he seems to have such confidence in himself that maybe he could even have had three goals or four goals or 
you know, in the Torino game and certainly could have had more goals in other games. So it seems as though we're just seeing the start of Ozymen, like he can develop more, obviously, and let's hope for all Napoli fans and for Syria that it's in Italy that he continues that development. Yeah, we're going to chat a little bit more about the transfer rumors at the end of the pod. But it's funny because uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to regularly is the Gab and Jewel show from ESPN. And Gab Marcotti on that show always says with Osimhen, the best is yet to come. So, you know, kind of echoing that sentiment that we haven't even seen the best out of him. And you're right. He is, I guess he has really high expectations for himself. So when he doesn't score, he gets really upset with himself. We saw that at the end of the Atalanta match where, you know, he comes off. We're up, I think, 2-0 at that point, And he was fuming, <laughs> you know, you know, we're winning in a really important match, but that is what you want from your strikers, right? Like you want that, that fire, you want them hungry for goals. So he fed that hunger a little bit in this match scoring twice. The header was fantastic, but as you said, like it was the sequence that led to the goal for me, at least that I really enjoyed. There were so many nice little moments. Like it started from a throw in at midfield, which you don't often see a goal come directly from a throw in at midfield. And then there was the flick from Engisa. There was the diagonal run by Di Lorenzo, who kind of doesn't have a position either anymore. He's just all over the place. Even yeah. at the end of the match, it looked like him and Elmas just kind of decided, ah, you know, we're up 4-0. I'm going to play right wing. Uh, Elmas, <laughs> you play right back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it worked just fine as well. Of course, you had the back heel pass from Cavada, which is becoming a little bit of a trademark of his. In my opinion, this back heel was a little bit easier to execute than the one he pulled off against Frankfurt, which also had that crazy turn right before yeah. the back yeah. heel, and it was a completely no-look pass. But this one was still very nice. And then the cross by Oliveira to the second post. Of course, when I tweeted my first half thoughts on the match, I said Oliveira looked like he was struggling a little bit, and then he went out and had a really strong second half. But I'm totally <laughs> fine with that. I'm very happy that he did. And then, of course, the run and the finish by Osiman at the second post. Eight of his 25 goals in all competitions this season have been scored with his head. And... What's interesting is that while he's shown that he can score goals in a variety of different ways, I feel like he's also shown that he can score headers in a variety of different ways because this header was very, very different than the one against Frankfurt where it was just a towering leap and only a couple players in the world are capable of pulling that off. And this one was more about reading the play, making the run, and then squeezing that header into what was a pretty small window at the first post which is still very athletic, just in a different kind of way than the one he scored against Frankfurt. Luciano Spalletti talked about the goal in his post-match press conference, and he described it as the type of goal that he'll always remember and one that he'll talk about in the future with his friends who love football. He said Di Lorenzo is an alien for the run he made, which opened up the space on the left wing. He said Cavada showed his lightheartedness, or I guess sort of his playfulness with the back heel pass to Oliveira. He said the ball by Oliveira was perfect in that, as we now know, he called Osimen a two-headed dragon in the penalty area, implying that he's capable of reaching anywhere in the box, which I thought was an interesting visual. That was the third of our four goals. Stephen, perhaps the most impressive thing about this performance, though, was that we did it against a Torino team that is very strong defensively. I mentioned in my preview that only four teams have conceded fewer goals, at least heading into this match, than Torino had this season. Yet, over two matches, Napoli outscored them 7-1. to one. That's the impressive thing about this season is the way that Napoli have 
confounded all expectations, especially against teams that maybe they might have struggled against. Last season, Torino away would have been considered a potential, yeah, maybe a big slip up or a difficult game, but they just kind of steamrolled them other than a kind of brief period in the first half, which we'll maybe talk about. Napoli were pretty dominant. They just squeezed them and pushed them into submission as they've done all season. And Torino have had some pretty decent defensive performers this season, especially Per Schurz, the the Dutch defender who's been really, really good and, of course, connected with lots of big clubs. The right-sided defender Sango has been excellent. Even uh, Gravion, if that's how you pronounce it, the Guadeloupe central defender was pretty good, albeit he had a pretty robust tackle on Kvaraskelia that everyone is probably worried about um, if Kvara was okay or not. Milikovic Savage is a pretty you know decent goalkeeper as well, considering uh, their kind of defensive stats and display to take them apart so comprehensively. And it could have been more. It's like most Napoli games this season, when you look at it, 4-0 isn't a great result, but sometimes it seems kind of strange to say. It's almost like, I don't know, fantasy football or football manager that it could have been more. And sometimes you're left thinking, well, this could have been five or six. So again, as you rightly said before, you're not sure what words to use to describe it, but they definitely, again, reversed all sorts of expectations of what the you know the score could be or they basically yeah steamrolled them and it could be more yeah gravion was a bit of a surprise starter for me and then very early on he had that crunching tackle on cavada and i said oh okay that's why he's in there <laughs> <laughs> and you know buongiorno was on the bench at the start and then it was funny because he didn't get the yellow for that tackle and then the one he did get the yellow for was a pretty soft call but i guess it was like you were so close to getting one on that first tackle that just about any foul after that, you're going to get yeah. cautioned. And yeah. that put him in a bit of an awkward position because now he has to defend Cavada on a yellow. And then ultimately, Juric replaced him in the second half, which was probably a smart move. I don't think Torino helped themselves too much in this match. I think they were a little bit loose with their passing. Like the first goal started with a bit of an errant throw in, which led to a counter attack. And Ricardo Rodriguez made a really nice sliding block on Lozano, but then we scored on the ensuing corner kick. The second goal was the result of a bit of a rash challenge by Carolinetti on Cavada in the area. We had a few other chances directly from mistakes as well. Around the half hour mark, Milinkovic Savage was a bit too casual on the ball, and that allowed Lozano to close him down. And then Cavada won the header, and Osiman tried to square to Lozano in the area, but Torino defended that one well. And then later in the half, Matteo Ricci played a pass straight to Lobotka. Kavada then teed up Osiman, but Milinkovic Savage made the, the save on that one. I think that was the play where you were saying that he yeah. was uh, frustrated yeah. that he didn't score. It was actually a good save because yeah. it was a low hard shot and it was a bit of an awkward one, especially for a keeper the size of Milinkovic Savage to stop. Even if it's right at his feet, it's it's very awkward for the keeper. But going back to the penalty kick, do you think Kavada won that penalty simply based on his reputation? And what I mean by that is, you know, our players now fearing what can happen when they allow him to have the ball. So they're just kind of lunging in to make sure he doesn't have the ball for that long. I mean, I guess we, I guess we saw it. The, the bigger clubs certainly employed that tactic of kick Kavara. I think that was mentioned actually in one of the commentaries. It was a hack, hack shack, yeah, which they used to do in the NBA. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal, the, the teams used to purposely foul him almost in the opening, you know, minutes after tip off. And we saw that with the, uh, Milan, especially, who filled Kavara like 
constantly in one of the big games. It seems as though, yeah, he he is obviously, you know, the magician, the danger man, the creator, the the architect of everything. It was funny because the Winetti uh, challenge, it was almost quite difficult to see with the camera angle at first, but he obviously clearly tripped him. And, of course, Linetti immediately regretted it. But it does seem as though whenever he gets the ball, there is now the tendency for people to lunge in or dive in or foul immediately. And there's almost kind of a faint hope that they don't get a yellow card. It's as if, well, this is what we've almost been instructed to do because if we've given that kind of millimetre of space, he's going to fly past us. He's going to set somebody up. He's going to produce something that you know leads to a goal or certainly leads to a big chance. I guess it's a compliment to him and to Napoli, but also it's kind of disheartening as well because every time there is a strong challenge, everyone who supports Napoli and everyone who loves watching him play, and he's gained, I would say, millions of followers and people that want to watch him this season, you're kind of thinking, wait a second, is he all right? You know, hopefully he's not going to get injured. So, yeah, I guess there's a few different sides to it. Absolutely. There was another uh, Napoli player who it seemed like the only way to stop him was to hack him down <laughs> and and obviously they're drawing a lot of comparisons between the two of them that, that was at a different time when things weren't even called fouls at least he at least Cavada gets a little bit of uh, protection from the officials now yeah exactly and in the, in the old days um a lot of the fouls now would be yeah completely ignored yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we've almost come swung too far the other way the pendulum has swung yeah, too far the other way or definitely. now we have so many little ticky-tacky fouls that, that kind of just disrupt the flow of the game. Cavada converted the penalty himself, uh, just like Zielinski did against Eintracht Frankfurt. He went straight down the middle of the goal. Spalletti confirmed what he had previously told the media, which is that he lets the players decide who takes the first penalty kick because they are a democratic team, as he said, and then he decides who takes the second one. He also said that his team has been practicing penalty kicks more in training, which could be very important, particularly for the Champions League in case we find ourselves in a penalty shootout. You know, we lost one already this season in the Coppa Italia. Yeah. That was Cavada's 12th goal of the season. So only Osimen and Lautaro Martinez have scored more goals than he has. I think Lookman is also on 12 goals. For me, that was the killer blow because, as I tweeted during the match, Napoli have not conceded more than two goals in a single match this season. I think we've played 35 or 36 matches now in total. So at worst, we were going to come out of this match with a draw which wouldn't have been a terrible result playing away at Torino. The goal also completely killed Torino's momentum because, Stephen, there was about a 15-minute stretch between the two goals where Torino were actually the very clearly the better side. Yeah, they, they certainly created a lot of chances and it was almost unexpected because we're so used to Napoli dominating and to pressing teams into basically capitulation almost that it is quite surprising to see anyone have long passages of play where they create a lot of opportunities. And we saw Vlasic, Vovoida and Ricci all have decent you know, attempts at goal. And Alex Merritt, who's not really called upon that often, was superb and made some great saves. It was a bit odd because yeah, anyone who watched Napoli, as we both have every, every game this season, you're almost kind of... Uh, shocked when they <laughs> when they don't monopolize possession and completely push the opposing team back so it was kind of a, a strange feeling and but again when you look at the 
you know, the Syria table and the performances and the goals and everything else, and you put it all together, it's kind of like the, the ideal season. Nobody could have ever, you know, foreseen this, I don't think. Not even the most optimistic people could have foreseen this. No, absolutely. I think most Napoli fans were optimistic about a top four, but yeah. to be top of the table, let alone 19 points clear, you'd be lying to me if you told me you saw that <laughs> coming. Let's put it yeah. that way. Meret did make a couple of big saves. I mean, both shots from Vlasic and Matteo Ricci were pretty much straight at him, but they were struck with a lot of venom. And at least the second one, I think he might've seen a bit late because it, it traveled through a crowd. I think we were fortunate to not concede on the rebound, but thankfully Torino don't really have a lethal goal score. I mean, Sanabria hit the upright from only a few feet away. Perhaps we can give Meret credit for popping up quickly and at least making Sanabria rush mm-hmm. the shot a little bit. And, and maybe that's why he didn't put it in. Voivoda had a shot that didn't miss by much. Sanabria had a header that didn't miss by much. If you put all of that together, along with the odd chance in the second half, but there weren't many, then you get an XG of around 1.3 or 1.4, which, depending on which site you use, was actually the third or fourth highest XG Napoli have allowed all season. Only Milan, Atalanta, and and maybe Inter, again, depending on which site you use, had higher XGs in the league, at least. There were a couple more in the Champions League as well, but that's a much more open game. So, you know, our opponents, Liverpool, Ajax, they uh, created more chances. If Torino scored there, then I think this could have been a very different match. They seem to have all of the momentum in their favor. And who knows, maybe they even score a second goal and that would have put us in a bit more difficulty. Instead, Cavada wins that penalty and we end up coasting on to the victory. It was our 18th clean sheet in all competitions. Our ninth clean sheet in our last 11 matches in all competitions. Now, we talked about Alex Meret. I want to get your opinion on something that we were debating amongst a few Napoli fans offline, which is, you know, how good do we think Medet actually is? And what I mean is, is he really having such a great season, maybe even a breakout season, I guess you could say, or is he simply benefiting from having such a strong backline in front of him and a team that has so much possession of the ball that pretty much any decent goalkeeper like Pierluigi Golini, who also got a clean sheet when he played, would have pretty much had the same season with this back line in front of them. I guess you could look at it both ways. The, the, he is, I guess, in some ways fortunate to have Rachmani and Kim Min-Jae in front of him who have been absolutely watertight and they've really formed a, a tremendous partnership. But when he's been called upon, he also hasn't made any major mistakes. And he, if we look back at last season, he was absolutely castigated for the error against Empoli, and he was also criticised for quite a few other games. I guess in Italy, generally, people kind of focus and zoom in on any kind of error and then endlessly debate it, and it can't have done his confidence any good to have that error constantly talked about. I mean, this season, it's obviously been completely different. I guess the Torino game was an illustration of when he did have something to do, he couldn't be faulted. Like He made an excellent save for the Vlasic shot, the Richie shot, as you said, maybe he didn't get a great view of it, but he made a great save. He managed to put off Sanabria. Torino's big problem is that they don't have a regular goal scorer. They don't have someone who's reliable. But in saying that, they had that period where they were put on a lot of pressure and had a lot of chances. I think considering that Merritt had to wait a long time for his chance in the first place, and when we look at last season compared to this season, I think 
there's not many goalkeepers that you would place ahead of him in Serie A. Maybe only Vicario of Empoli, who's been pretty outstanding. And I can't really think of many other goalkeepers who have consistently produced. But whenever he's had anything to do, he's been unflappable and you can't fault him. And I guess that's all you can do. Like He has definitely benefited, obviously, from yeah, tremendous defence in front of him. But yeah, he's generally, I think, you can't you know say a bad word against him. Yeah, the one other keeper I would throw into that list is probably Provedal at Lazio, um, yeah. who also yeah. has a, a great record. But I tend to agree. I mean, you can't fault him for having a good backline in front of him. That doesn't mean he's a bad goalkeeper. I think he has answered the bell when he's been called upon. There was one weak goal he conceded against Bologna, but other than that, he's made some some really good saves. And you know, we were talking about this offline a little bit as well, that just like People have said, oh, you know, well, we need to see who Napoli play in the final of the Champions League if they get there because they haven't had any strong opponents, Frankfurt, you know, Liverpool when when they haven't had a great season and so on. You can only play the teams that you play, right? And and Meret can only face the shots that are taken towards him and the ones that have been and have gotten through, he's actually done quite well. And then I think you also have to give Spalletti a bit of credit here as well because One thing I've admired about Spalletti this season is he seems to have sort of evaluated each and every player's strengths and weaknesses, and he's designed the system that caters to their strengths, whether it's Lobotka's low center of gravity or Anguisa's stamina, Cavada's creativity, Osman's pace. We all know that Meret's biggest strength is his shot-stopping abilities, and his biggest weakness is probably playing with the ball at his feet. Well, how often do we play the ball to Meret at his feet now? Nowhere near as much as we did under Gattuso. We still pass the ball back to Meret on occasion, but you know we're not asking him to start the build-up on goal kicks. We're letting, you know, he's just playing the ball to a center back who's a bit further away, and, and that's it. We're not playing the ball right back to him. When we do play the ball back to Meret, it seems like he's been instructed to just boot the ball long and don't even worry about it. And that's totally fine, right? Don't put yourself in an awkward position because we're trying to play the ball out of the back. So I think that's a credit to Spalletti. Going back to Cavada, late in the match, he added an assist to become the first player in the league to reach double-digit assists and the first player to get to the double-double mark, which is kind of an American term for uh, double-digit goals, double-digit assists. By the way, a little bit of a tangent here, but I'm very annoyed, (laughs) and I don't know why this bothers me so much, but it does. I'm very annoyed at how many major publications don't properly fact-check their statistics it's clear to me that they just use transfer marks, which is a great site. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, the official Sedia website has these stats as well. And, and the reason I say that is because transfer marked counts penalty kicks earned as assists, while Lega Sedia does not. So if you go on transfer marked, Cavada reached the double double a couple of matches ago because he won a couple of penalty kicks, when in reality, he just got there in this match. And and I'm talking about major sites. You know, CBS did a tweet about it and they made that mistake. I, I think the New York Times did an article. I think it was Rory Smith that uh, wrote. It was a great article on, on Cavada. It was called Napoli's New Artist Shares His Secret Freedom is My Signature. But again, he got the stats wrong. And it wasn't actually that one. It wasn't even just the, the assist. It was even the appearances and the goals. I think he wrote the piece before the Atalanta match and then went back and <laughs> updated it after Cavada scored and, and forgot to update a couple of numbers. Anyhow, whichever stats you use, Cavada is having an unbelievable season. 
that assist was on Tangi Ndobele's first goal of the Serie A campaign, his second in a Napoli shirt. Stephen, I feel like this was a fitting reward for a player who's looked very good off the bench of late. Definitely, yeah. Whenever he's come on, you can see that his course control, the way that he's able to create space for himself, he's clearly a very technically skilled player. And yeah, the goal was a reward for some yeah, pretty decent performances off the bench. You can kind of see within Dombley, though, the reason why Tottenham loaned him out is that you can see, you clearly see that he's very talented, but he often fails to make the right decision at the very, you know, the most crucial point. Like he'll dribble past a couple of defenders and then he'll lose possession. He might choose the wrong option in terms of like his final pass. I mean, I was really pleased for him to score a goal and you could see um, how much it meant for Kvaratskhelia, who kind of give him a pat on the cheek and a pat on the head. And it was almost as if he was trying to cheer him up and say, hey, you scored, you know, like <laughs> you should be a bit happier. But of course, maybe he's not pleased at having to come off the bench every week. But how can you possibly displace, um, you know, Wabotka, Anguissa and Zielinski? I mean, I, I'm not sure there'd be many Napoli fans that would put him ahead of those three. He certainly has a lot of potential, but I'm wondering... Do Napoli take the option on him? What do you think? Like the, the option, I think, is 30 million euros. What what do you think is worth it? Or the policy has certainly not been to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. coming into this season. Do you think he's worth it? So the latest reports, and, and I tend to agree with them, are that Napoli are not going to redeem him for 30 million because if you think about it, that would be like a record transfer fee for Napoli yeah. for a midfielder. And it's hard to justify paying that much for a guy who's, a fourth or fifth option in the midfield. I mean, yeah. depending on him and Elmas kind of play different roles, but you would almost think even Elmas gets into the starting 11 before Ndombele does. So they're not going to redeem him, but Spalletti clearly likes him. He said, you know, and maybe this was just lip service, but he, he said to the media, he can't believe that Tottenham let this player go, uh, yeah. which doesn't necessarily help our, our negotiating power. But I think they'll go back to Tottenham and say, listen, we can't pay 30 million for this player. Like we paid 13 or 15 or 16, whatever it was for Ngisa. And that's a regular starter. He plays every game from the first minute, but we do still like him. You know, will you take 10 million or 15 million and go from there? The other thing that's a bit tricky is if I recall correctly, I think Tottenham is paying a portion of Ndombele's salary, right? So if he has salary expectations, if he wants to make the same money, that's probably not going to happen at Napoli either. So I think it's unlikely that we redeem him and, and you know, maybe they can work something out in terms of uh, a deal to keep him at Napoli. I also picked up on Cavada's reaction, <laughs> which I, I thought it was really funny that Cavada seemed a lot happier that Ndombele scored than Ndombele himself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was, it, was, it was almost as if, yeah, come on, look, you've got thousands of fans cheering for yeah, you. Yeah. You know, you should kind of yeah, smile a bit more. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't I don't think Ndombele wasn't happy. I, you know, he's such a yeah. cool customer. Even the yeah. finish was a very cool finish, you know, through the legs of Milinkovic Savage. So I think maybe just judging by his body language, he's probably just an introverted person, doesn't show his emotion as outwardly as Kavada does. What's really interesting, though, is that Kavada has, he's almost bipolar. There's Kavada on the pitch and Kavada off the pitch. So on the pitch, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And when he scores, he's running and screaming and jumping and yelling and fist pumping the crowd and all these things. And then you watch him in his off the pitch interviews and he is just completely the opposite. He's soft-spoken. He's very timid. 
he clearly does not want to be in the spotlight. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, something that's very, just very interesting about his personality and how, how his emotions come out on the pitch. Shout out to Osimhen as well on this goal. I think he showed again just his pace and his strength. He chased down the long ball from Elmas and then he outmuscled Parashurs, who, as you said, he's been very, very good. I think he's linked to United or, or a big EPL club. So, yeah. you know, great play there. And this was exactly the type of play from Osimhen that doesn't get picked up on the stats right like maybe some sites now they track things like key passes or the pass before the pass or whatnot but even that doesn't capture just how he basically made something out of nothing on this play it was nice to see that we got some of our bench players onto the field for some pretty meaningful minutes i think you know that's been my one criticism of spalletti and it's hard to criticize a coach when we're having such a remarkable season and I always say, you know, he has to rely on his medical staff. And if they're telling him guys are good to play, then sure, he's going to play them. But it was nice to see Simeone come on in the 71st minute. It was his longest appearance since match day nine, which was against Cremonese. Even Gianluca Gaetano and Leo Ostergaard got a few minutes in there as well, which afforded Rachmani and Lobotka some extra rest. But I wanted to ask you about the transfer rumors lately that have been swirling around. I've been talking a lot about my tweets today, but another tweet I had was, it seems like the Italian media have kind of given up on convincing everyone that someone other than Napoli can win the Scudetto. And now they're trying to convince everyone that Napoli will sell all their best players in the summer. Giving what I'll call Napoli's impending success, because we haven't actually won anything yet, but you know, it seems like we're at least going to win the Scudetto and, and maybe make a deep run in the Champions League. And given Napoli's strong financial position, do you think we'll see the team blown up in the summer? I mean, it's a difficult one. I'm interested to hear what you think. Also, if you th- you know if you think they'll be kind of taken apart, unfortunately. I mean, it, it's one of these inevitable things, though. That I mean, I worked as a, a sports reporter in Scotland for many years, and there comes a point in the season where if regardless of whether someone's going to win the title or they're going to be relegated, if there's not, I mean, it seems kind of ridiculous to say, but if there is seemingly not much to play for, which is, again, a kind of ridiculous thing to say, and it's in something that's like a foregone conclusion almost, the agenda or the editors move on to different things and say, okay, well, how many times can we continually repeat ourselves and write about something? Let's shift the narrative or the story onto something different and say, well, okay, we know that they're going to win the Scudetto. I mean, it would take an absolute miracle for, you know, things to turn around at this point. I don't think anyone, you know, is uh, going to catch them. And as you said, Napoli fans are pretty superstitious and pretty worried generally because of what's happened in previous seasons. But this season is just utterly unique. Obviously, they're, they're heading towards the third title. But it does seem as though that, yeah, OK, well, it's great that they're going to win it, but now what happens next? Are they potentially going to lose their star players? What's the possibility of doing it again? Can they repeat it? Can they play in the same style? If you read reports, it's almost as if in some ways transfer speculation, and this has been said by many other people, obviously not just me, that transfer speculation has almost overtaken the game in some ways and that people look forward to the windows especially social media, more than the actual games themselves because it's like, okay, let's just pick this random figure. Let's have this player and let's have all the big teams. How much are, you know, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, you know, PSG, 
Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. You know, who can they buy? How much money can they spend? Unfortunately, Italian teams don't really seem to have much of a budget to buy, <laughs> make the huge signings that we saw in the, the glory days of the, the 90s and 2000s. I mean, I've kind of tweeted as well for what it's worth that what teams can legitimately afford Ozzyman? Does he want to leave? Does he want to make more history with Napoli? People love him there. I mean, it's clear from the kids and people, not just the kids, wearing the, the masks and making cakes and the thousands of people that want his autograph in the streets and the murals and the, all the other stuff. Is he going to get that level of adoration anywhere else? I mean, it's possible, but is that even a factor? Is he motivated by money? He's talked in the past that it's always been his dream to play in the English Premier League. Is that the ultimate aim? Does he want to do it now or does he want to do it in the future? And it obviously depends on De Laurentiis, who reduced the the spending budget and brought in some amazing signings, like Kim Min Jae on incredible transfer fees, less than was it, 20 million euros. So can they afford to offer salary increases, which I'm, you know we've all read about, like Ozzyman gets a new contract and more money, and the same with Kvaratskhelia? It's a really difficult one to predict and I'm yeah, really interested to hear your thoughts on it. Obviously everyone who supports Napoli and who's followed them and loves watching them hopes that they're not broken up but I guess there is a realistic possibility that if someone comes in with an 150 million or even more you know these preposterous sums of money that we talk about in football comes in for us I mean does Dioren to say okay I'll take the money now and I'll use even half of that to go and get somebody else and the same with Kvarat Skelly. If someone comes in with a ridiculous sum of money, what do you do? Do you take it or do you? And do you think, okay, we can use that to reinvest or we can use that for the future of Napoli, but then you lose your two key players. And of course, there's also the possibility that other players are being looked at as well. Players maybe that don't, don't get enough playing time obviously could go as well. And then your options on the bench are reduced. It's a really unpredictable time, but certainly the, the shift in the agenda I honestly think it's kind of moving the focus away from what's a historic season, one of the best seasons in the history of the club, one that everyone should enjoy. And also just another very small point that people have been saying, oh, does it take anything away from the you know third Scudetto because they've won it in this manner and they're so far ahead? And just my opinion, I kind of think you should just enjoy it, enjoy these wonderful players really aesthetically pleasing brand of football, which Spalletti has emphasised many times and, you know, just take it all in. But instead, it seems to be now about, yeah, who's going to go where? Are they going to lose it? Lose these players? Is the team going to be broken up? We have to remember, Napoli haven't actually won the Scudetto yet. You know, they're not in the semi-finals or the final of the Champions League yet. Why don't we just kind of take pleasure from this amazing season? Okay, so let me start with the media, because I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I click on every one of these transfer rumors. So <laughs> even though as much as I myself am just trying to enjoy this season and just focus on it, they dangle that bait out there and I bite every single time. So <laughs> I think there's, to an extent, that's a part of it, right? I, these guys, that's how they get paid. They, they need to get yeah. clicks. They need to get eyes on websites and they're doing what they have to do. So totally fine. 
I'll come back to the question on the easy season, quote unquote, easy season, everyone kind of lying down for Napoli. But let me give you my thoughts on some of these transfer rumors, because just this week alone, we've seen, you know, Manchester United are lining up 150 million euro bid for Victor PSG apparently are willing to pay 180 million for Cavada. There was one that Liverpool are interested in Lobotka. So let me address those in the reverse order, because I think, Lobotka and Cavada rumors are easier to dismiss. I think the Osimen one, as you alluded to, is a bit more complicated. On the Lobotka one, the rumor that I saw, but I, th- I don't even think it was from a reputable site, it was like The Sun or something, was that Liverpool are willing to pay, they want two Serie A players, Sergei Milinkovic Savic and Stanislav Lobotka, and they're willing to pay something like 87 million pounds, which is about 100 million euros for the pair of players. Just last week, Lobotka signed the contract extension to 2027 and Napoli have a club option for another year. So he potentially has four or five years left on his contract. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean he won't be sold. What it does mean is if Napoli are going to sell such an important player, I don't know what percentage of that 100 million euros is for Lobotka and Sergei. Maybe it's something like 40, 60. And I don't think it's worth it to sell him for 40 million because he is so important. He is the one guy on this team that doesn't really have a legitimate backup. And then earlier this week, I think it was on Monday, there was the Slovak Player of the Year Gala. And Lobotka, he won the Fans Award. He just barely lost the Player of the Year Award to Milan Skriniar, who finished with, I think it was 409 points to Lobotka's 391. I didn't take the time to figure out the point system. I think, you know, there's different people that get votes, media, former players, coaches, all these things. And maybe they give different weight to different people. But I think he's probably going to win the award for 2023. And he gave an interview to a, a Slovak media channel. I think it was Sports 24. And he told them he's never been more confident than he is right now. And he, he gave a lot of credit to Spalletti, kind of contrasted that to the lack of confidence that Gattuso had in him. And, you know, what I took from that was that he is in a very good place, both mentally and physically. And it just seems like this would not be the time to make a move for him. So for me, Lobotka is the least of my concerns. Obviously, the two players who are getting the most media attention, not surprisingly, are Kavada and Osimen. The Kavada rumor makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, like I'm not a huge Fabrizio Romano fan. I think he's kind of tailed off over the last couple of years and just kind of re-reports other people's stuff. But he said he's not aware of any contacts between PSG and Napoli. But he did make some very practical points that make a lot of sense namely that PSG don't even know who their coach is going to be next season so it sounds like a little premature to think that they would dish out that kind of money without knowing you know what system they're going to play and you know in case anyone hasn't heard they already have a pretty good left winger named Kylian Mbappe so you know if you were to buy Kavada like where where you know I you know he is capable of being converted into a right winger or whatever but like logic tells you that you probably don't need both of those players at the same time. And then there's been a lot of reporting that Cavada is a Real Madrid fan and that Guti was his idol growing up. I think one of the Spanish TV channels, El Chiringuito, or one of those guys, they even got Guti to sign a shirt and they brought it to Cavada. Maybe they're already kind of putting the, the wheels in motion to eventually yeah. make a bid for Cavada as well. So to me, it seems like if he's going to go anywhere, Real Madrid or the Premier League are probably the... The likely places again like even with psg as much money as they have and as attractive as that might be so far they haven't been able to translate that into european success and i have to think for all these guys that's got to be a priority 
in terms of the clubs that that they pick that they go to uh, not just money the one that is the most realistic for me is oc men and again you touched on a lot of this but for me it kind of comes down to two things first how much are prospective buyers willing to pay and second you know what's the player's desire we know that napoli's finances are in order so we don't need to make player sales to balance the books that means we'll only sell Victor for the right price. And we know how rigid De Laurentiis is when it comes to selling players. And if he has a specific number on it, then he's not taking anything less than that. And it seems like that number is $150 million, which, according to the rumors, clubs probably will be willing to pay. That wouldn't actually surprise me. But then it also depends on what Victor wants. Now, Victor himself said that his dream is to one day play in the Premier League. Does that mean next season, the season after, the season after that? We don't really know. We've heard that he's a United fan. So if the offer comes from United and he wants to go there, then he can influence that decision because, you know, he has two years left on his contract. So if you're going to sell him, this is kind of the ideal time to do that. If you don't want to wait one extra season, because then you're giving him the ability to control the negotiation. Because when there's only one season left, then he can say, well, if you don't sell me, I'm not going to extend and you're going to lose me for nothing next year, right? So that's a big risk. The other thing, though, is I'm sure he also has sights on winning a Champions League because, again, which player doesn't want to win the Champions League? So yeah. he might look at our squad, and, and maybe I'm being a bit optimistic here, but he might look at the Napoli squad. He might look at the United squad and say, maybe my chances are actually better today winning the Champions League with Napoli rather than United. And I hesitate to say that because United have been very, very good. Pretty much since Ronaldo was moved on, they've got their house in order and Ten Hogs doing a fantastic job. So maybe that one is a bit speculative on my part. And then there's a bit of an in-between solution, which is the one that I'm kind of hoping for. And that is that we give Osimhen a one-year extension on his current contract. So three years instead of two that he has now. That will require De Laurentiis to break his sort of salary rule. No one gets more than three and a half million. He'll have to pay Osiman significantly more than that, but we can afford to do that. The money is there between what we're making in the Champions League this year and what we're already guaranteed to get next year. Then we sell Osiman at the end of next season. So he still has two years left on his contract at that point. And maybe by then, then, you know, Ten Hag will have had another season under his belt. United might be in a better position to actually challenge realistically for a Champions League title and Napoli still get the price tag that they want. So that's sort of my wishful thinking. I feel like I'm trying to convince myself that we're actually going <laughs> to keep the entire current squad intact, which <laughs> may be a little bit unrealistic. But I think it's also more likely that we keep more of these players than we kind of just blow up the team. And then the other big question mark, and, and I'll and my little diatribe here is that uh, a lot of this also depends on Luciano Spalletti's future because he's kind of the reason for the success. And it sounds like that's a decision that will be made at the end of the season, whether he decides to carry on or not. So that can obviously influence a lot of these decisions as well. Steven, that is all we have time for today, but any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Just what I said earlier, I guess hopefully everyone could just enjoy the rest of the season because it's unprecedented season for Napoli. And as you said earlier, they've gained so many fans all over the world. And 
I think it can only be good for Italian football in Syria. Maybe not if you're a fan of the bigger clubs and other clubs this season, but the attention that they've you know attracted and garnered and more fans, I think, can only be a good thing. And the style of football that they play has just been immense. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, again, let's just enjoy it for now. Yeah, read the transfer rumors if you want, but that's that's tomorrow's problem. We can deal with that uh, at the end of the season. Okay, you can find Steven on Twitter at SKashevich. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. If you want to support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli Pod, or you can leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm going to take a couple of days off during the international break, but I do plan on finally providing an update on the Feminila now that I have a few minutes. And I probably won't have any podcasts on the international break itself, but I will be covering all of that over at the website. I've already published a complete schedule for all of Napoli's players who have been called up to their respective national teams in case you want to follow along on how they're doing. Bartosz Brzezinski has already suffered a minor knee injury, apparently, but it sounds like it's two-week recovery and then he'll be back so not a great start to the international break anyhow i will be back soon but until next time i'm joe fischetti forza napoli sempre Podcast Network.